Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the, in the, name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and that's, wh- that's what we're here for today. Uh, we, we're very familiar with the Great Commission, and we need to be so familiar with it that we live it out. I'm excited uh, to have Jonathan Martin come and preach today. Jonathan, you can c- come on up here. Uh, so I heard Jonathan uh, five years ago, or four years ago, sorry, at Perspectives. We talk a lot about the Perspectives course, um, and it's a, it's a course on what God is doing all over the world. Uh, to spread the gospel for, for more and more people to come and know him. Her Jonathan and uh, Matt Eldridge and I were taking the class together. We looked at each other after class and said, we've got to get him here at Harvest. That was 2015. Um, and then Alyssa came into the office a few weeks ago. Alyssa was helping out with this most recent round of perspectives and said, Jonathan and his wife, Janie, they're, they're going overseas. I'm like, we've got to get him here now. <laughs> So he agreed. This is, this is probably five weeks ago. I'm, I'm really, really excited to, uh, to have Jonathan speak. I'll be quiet now. He'll, he'll get to tell you about what he does. But he's been all over the world, too many countries to count. Um, he's, uh, they're, they're going to work uh, with GoServe, um, and their, their job, if I understand it correctly, is uh, to help missions teams uh, be healthy so that they can truly minister uh, out of a healthy place. Uh, so they're firing on, on all cylinders um, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me pray for Jonathan and for us. Jesus, we love you, and we want this world to love you. And Lord, I I know that um, every person at at Harvest won't be sent across the world, but we are all sent ones, and we are all sent, and we are all to participate in, in the gospel being heard everywhere, Lord. Lord, we use Jonathan right now. Would you use your word, Holy Spirit, to teach us? Would you stir our hearts? God, I pray that we would not leave the same as we came in, that, that we would hear what we need to hear today, that you would impact our hearts and our minds so that our lives change, Lord, so that we truly are on mission with you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks. If somebody came up to you and asked you, hey, what is the purpose of life? What would you say? It's, it's a pretty important question, don't you think? It is pretty important. And I think that we, we think about it, and a lot of times we go, well, it's to, to glorify God, which is true. It is to glorify God. Um, it's to know God. It's to love God. But that doesn't, like, put any meat on the bones. That sort of tells you what the big picture is. But how do we do that? And it's interesting. Greg just read a verse to you from Matthew 28. And what do we call that, those verses? You guys are good. You're better than most churches, okay? That's, that's good. Greg's doing a good job with you. The Great Commission. Not the, not the little commission, not the if you, maybe if you want to commission. It's the Great Commission. And there's a reason it's a Great Commission. Does anyone know where that Great Commission is first found in the Bible? Yeah, it's, it's actually the very first command we see in the Scriptures. Very first. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And, and it's, it's, watch the parallels, ready? He comes to, to Adam and Eve. They've been created in his image, and he says this, be fruitful, multiply. Okay, what is making disciples? It's being fruitful, seeing them come to know Jesus, right? 
baptizing them, and then seeing them grow up, multiplying. That's what disciple-making is. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Okay? What? All nations. Fill the earth. And there's this other little piece. It says subdue it, which is interesting. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. So here God, in his first creative act, he creates Adam and Eve. And he gives them a command. And it's interesting. They're in the garden, and the garden is this refined area. And the first command is saying essentially what? You're going to be leaving the, the garden. And this word subdue, I, I went, what does this word mean? And I went over it. Do you realize that is a, from the very beginning, it's a warfare term. Right at the beginning, God says, hey, yes, I've created you for a relationship with me. He walked with them in the garden. But he created them for a huge massive mission to go in and subdue the earth. Well, what do you mean war? What is there to war against? Well, guess who shows up in the garden? You know, I always ask people this. Was the garden a, a good place, a pretty good place, a good place, or a perfect place? And what does everybody say? Perfect place. And then I say, well, then what in the, I won't say that because it's church, but what in the, was Satan doing there? It's a perfect place, and you have Satan there. And guess what we did with Satan being there? And I say we because we're all in Adam, okay? We sided with the enemy who subdued the earth. Satan is the one who subdued the earth. We see this. We just were singing it. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Who is the prince of the world? Who is the one who is the whole world, John says, is under the control of the yeah, the evil one? You see, we not only left our relationship with God, we left our mission and we sided with the enemy and um, jumped on with his mission. And this world is messed up, you guys. Okay, I, my son is going to college, and he took a current events class. And I said, what did you learn in there? He goes, Dad, this world is so messed up. And it really is, it is so messed up. And yet we as American Christians, we really don't want to know that. Because what's really important to me is Disneyland. And when these other things are going on, Disneyland is really what I'm living for. Now, I have nothing against Disneyland. You know, I haven't boycotted it or anything. In fact, I went with our kids once, okay? Um, so, and, and I had fun. It's not like I went around grim-faced, this evil place. No, I wasn't like that at all, okay? Disneyland is fun. But when it becomes our purpose, then what we've done is we've bought into the world system and saying, hey, I am here for a short time, so let's just seize all the fun we can get. But what we're called to do is subdue. And what happened is Satan subdued it. It's really interesting because that command, be fruitful, multiply, appears again with a, a guy named Noah. But there's no more subdue there. It doesn't say subdue the earth there. It's just be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. The earth is filled with people who do not know God. The image of God has been twisted and marred and broken. We have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. From cover to cover, there is a theme, and we don't hear about it very much, and it's, it's the evil one. The very beginning, and then at the end, in 
The last thing we see pretty much in the book of Revelation is who is thrown into the lake of fire finally. The evil one who appears. Satan, the dragon, the serpent is finally destroyed. And in between this time when Satan rebelled and we don't know the background story, but we were called, you and I, we were called to be bearers of the image of God to take on Satan, to take on evil, to push him out of this world and to see this world redeemed and restored and in the name of God be what it was supposed to. But what we did is we jumped on his side. Hey, he has these really cool things that he says and these really cool promises, and we'll get it that way. So you come down and you see this. If you've ever read the Old Testament, um, the history of, of God's chosen people, a good history, a very good history, or a perfect history, or, let me give you another option, a miserable history. Do you see? It's, it's absolutely horrendous. That's one of the reasons you know it's true. Did you know that? Because nobody would write such a bad history about their own people. Nobody, ever. I mean, you have all these kings over Israel. How many good kings in Israel? Zero. In Judah, a handful, and they, they were not that good either. You know, the heroes that write your Bible, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, and he tubes out as an old man and just does horribly. David, the man after God's own heart who's doing some horrendous things, folks, it's, it's not a good history. In fact, with some Muslims, I, I one time told them, you know, read the stories of what David did, and they, that's, he's their prophet. And they go, this can't be true because prophets don't do these things. That's how bad the history is. Do you see what I'm saying? This is bad. God chooses a people, and we do so poorly. Well, why? Because one is coming, and it's from the very beginning when we fall. One is coming, and what is he going to do? The serpent will bruise his heel, but he will bruise the head of the serpent. Then Jesus comes, the very first act of his ministry. Where is he? He's facing off with Satan. You see the theme here? And unlike Adam, who was in the garden with all of his needs being met, Jesus now is in the wilderness with none of his needs being met except he's holding on to God the Father. And there he, he wipes out Satan, and Satan leaves him. And he is the victorious one over Satan. And he says, there's not too many times where Jesus uses the word church. That's sort of a, a, a Paul statement, you know, the fellowship, the gathering. They weren't really gathering at this time. But there's, a, there's an unusual passage where Jesus uses this word church. I'm going to build my, my fellowship, my gathering, my people. Um, and he says it to Peter. He asked Peter, he says, Peter, um, we asked all the disciples, who do you say that I am? And they were guessing around. Nobody was really willing to step out there and say who he was. But Peter, we know, will always step out there and um, say what he thinks. And he nailed it, that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God. And, and Jesus turned to him and he said, hey, you're Peter. Play on words. You're a rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. So we're starting to see right there, okay, church, there it is. What is the purpose of the church? And then he goes on, right, the next. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay, now think of that image. I just finally got it a couple years ago. I've heard that my whole life. 
the gates of hell. So do gates come, some gates, do gates come after you? Or are they just there? Who's going after who in that picture? Do you see it? There's gates of hell, and they're trying to keep what? You out, and what are you doing? This is crazy. The church is doing what? Breaking down hell's gates. Okay, does that sound like Disneyland? Hey, let's go to hell. Okay? It doesn't. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's saying you have something that's big. There's evil. It's out there. And it takes initiative. It takes, you have to go after it. You have to, and the church will tear down these gates and set free the captives who are being held there, which is the world, which is why the world is so messed up, just like the people of Israel were so messed up, just like every people group is so messed up. And we are called, now think about this, purpose in life is to know God, but not just to know God in a vacuum. It's not just to, it is to know God when we're sitting down in the morning with our cup of coffee. That's a great place to know him. But we are on mission even when we have that cup of coffee. He has called us to be on mission with him. God is going somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere. And often I think our prayers are not answered because God just doesn't seem to hear me. Well, he's going somewhere. Jesus is going somewhere, and are we going with him? And we see what he did, and we see how he gave his life, and then he asked his disciples, really, to do the same. If you don't pick up your cross and follow me, these are verses we just, we don't really believe, but it's this this idea that storming hell's gates, when we are doing this, we are doing what we're meant to to do. We're doing what we were made to do. The purpose in life, yes, to know God, but in that context, listen to this, to overcome evil with good. Is there any higher purpose? on? on can there be any higher calling? Is there any movie that, that has a higher calling than that? To overcome evil with good. To co- overcome hatred with what? Love. To overpower hatred with love. Wow. So, is it any surprise that there's this fiery ordeal among you? This, we can expect it because hatred is going to come, and that's where love goes in. Did they hate Jesus? Yes. Did he hate back? No. And he calls us to do the same, to overcome. He calls us. Ultimately, you look, turn, turn for yourself. Who is going to crush the serpent's head? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes they translate or say it, but it's bruised both ways. In Genesis, he will bruise your heel. And you will, this one, the, the woman's seed, which is a weird thing, will bruise his head. It actually says bruise there. It's the same word back and forth. But in Romans chapter 15, he says to the church in Rome, do you know what he says? He says, and soon the God of all grace will soon crush Satan, where? Under your feet. Charge the gates of hell, crush Satan under our feet. Now, if any of us would ever capture a glimpse of Satan and his power and his might, we would be terrified. The only reason we can stand is because we're in Christ. This world cannot stand before him. He has effectively taken over this world. The church is called for high and noble purposes. It's called to charge the gates of hell. And you guys, we can do this. We are called to do it. And it 
isn't easy. It isn't fun. I wouldn't use that word always. But you know what? It's the only place where you find God's joy. Isn't that charging the gates of hell joy? Yeah, I don't know how to explain that. It's the only place where you really come to understand his love. Um, my daughter just, they just took in a foster kid, a 12-year-old foster boy. And it's like, I said, Dana, do you realize this is going to be the hardest thing you've probably ever done in your life? And she goes, yeah. I said, well, that's where God shows up. <laughs> that's where he shows up. And I'm super proud of them. I mean, it's, but you warn them. You warn them, but that's where you meet God when you need Him. Because when we when we build comfort around us, we're we're not finding what He has for us. So I really wanted to tell a story of something that I've been able to be involved in with our church, with some missionaries, of exactly this picture of what God has for us and what He what does it mean to storm the gates of hell? What does it mean to to take the gospel. See, that's what the gospel is. When Jesus came and he overcame Satan, he calls us then in this make disciples of all nations. Now that we've been restored in our relationship, let's get with the mission. And where is it to go? All the earth, every place. The place where we were originally called to go and take his glory and his image. And now we are called as a church to do that. And there is territory, and it is owned by Satan. Some of you know of the genocide in Rwanda. Um, There's this crescent of evil in these countries down in, in Africa. In the genocide in Rwanda, there was a general from, for the UN who was from Belgium. Did not believe in God until he got down there. And do you know why he believes in God? This is his statement. He says, I believe in God. He said, I didn't used to, but I believe in God because... And he had met with the head of one of the guys that's doing the mass killings. And he was trying to negotiate with him. And he wrote a book called um, Negotiating with the Devil. When the guy stepped into the room, he realized there was something supernaturally evil about this person. And he debated, should I kill him now or should I negotiate? He negotiated and he second guesses. But he says, he says I know there is a God because I have met the devil. See, so so prevalent is evil in this world that it's not an option for the church of God to, to, to ignore it. It's not okay. It's not okay for me, okay, I'm not just speaking to you, to, for me to read about the Syrian refugee crisis and to not pray. And have I failed? Yes. But it's not okay for me to fail. Those are human beings just like we are that have the same desires in life and they're scattered. The Rohingyan crisis, the Sudanese, South Sudanese crisis. I've been in South Sudan and I know these people, and now it's just all hell. It is hell. There's this crescent of evil in Africa. But God wants us, you, to be involved in places that you've never been. And you can be, which is amazing, through the power of prayer and through hopping on with people who are going there and people who are already there. So I want to share a story of storming the gates of hell in a way that God used our church in, a, in an unlikely way through an unlikely person. And... In fact, there was, when I became the global pastor out at our church, we had like a, it's crazy, like a million dollars that we gave away to missions throughout the course of the year. So as a result, suddenly I'm overseeing this, and it's sort of like for the first time in my life, people treat me like a wealthy man. You know, people come, and they want your money. Um, and so this one guy was saying, I have this friend, and she's, 
she's a veterinarian, and she's in, I really want you to meet her. And I go, well, we already have our own missionaries. I don't really want to meet anybody else. Um, but this guy was like the persistent widow, so I finally, okay, I'll, I'll give her a half hour. And so we gave her a half hour, and about two hours later, okay, so the problem is this morning I don't have the two hours to share the whole story, but she, um, I realized, okay, here's somebody that we have to get on board with. Do you know why we had to get on board with her as a church? Because she could not tell her other churches, her supporting churches, what was really going on. Do you know why she couldn't tell them what was going on? Because she would be asked to come home and to leave the field. So she wasn't being dishonest. She just wasn't divulging the, divulging the whole truth about the nature of where she was. She was a, an atheist growing up as an atheist kid, an atheist in college, and she met some people from, um, from uh, a fellowship of Christian athletes that tried to argue evolution creation with her. And I asked her one time, I said, well, who would win those debates? And she goes, well, they weren't very good debaters. In fact, <laughs> she goes, I would win every time. I said, well, then how did you come to Christ? And she said, well, she said, Friday night I'd go get drunk, and then we'd come back Saturday night, I'd be all hungover, and they'd be happy, filled with joy. And, and I said, what did you do last night? And they said, well, we were meeting with Myrtle and Gretchen down at the old folks' home. And these were basketball players that she had a lot of respect for, really handsome guys, and they're wasting their life on Myrtle and Gretchen. And, and she couldn't understand it. She couldn't understand it. But she was so convicted that she did not have love. She had love for herself, but she did not have love. That it pushed her one day to get down on her knees and cry out to God. She came back and told those guys, hey, I, I did it. And they go, what? I, I gave my life to Jesus. And they were convinced she was mocking them. Until, you know, the fruit showed up. And she goes, I'm going on a trip to Uganda. She went to Uganda. Um, knew she wanted to become a veterinarian because she wanted to uh, work. She saw that there was a need with these animals there. She went back. So this is just a little missionary training. She goes to vet school for missionary training. I was like, okay, that's charging the gates of hell. Going to vet school would be for me. That's, she stepped into vet school, so six years there, had to pay off her school debts. Nine years later, she finally gets to go back. Sees God do some amazing things among those peace-loving people up in the mountains. And she keeps hearing about these, these um, demon people down on the plains called the Karamajong. And it was really interesting as she heard these mountain people cry out in, in hatred for their worst enemy. Guess what happened to her heart? This one who has no love. She felt drawn to these people. Now this is from a 1950s movie. Let me tell you a little bit about these people. Um, it's a little risque there in that picture. We might fast forward it to the next picture here. Um, but that, that video, um, that video, that movie that was made in the 50s, it says, hey, come see the land of Karamoja, where they wear nothing but the wind. You know, that was evidently in the 50s. Oh, wow, let's go watch that. That sounds like something we want to watch. Um, rather risque movie. But this people group, they, um, the British colonized Uganda, and they left this. They, they, they had nature preserves. They had a human preserve where they just let the people be like they are. So they just let them go. Didn't develop them at all. They were backwards, throwing spears, cattle, cattle ranchers. What happened is Idi Amin, some of you know the Idi Amin story, he came in, took over Uganda, oppressed these people, the Karamajong, just brutally was killing them. And then overnight, Idi Amin was thrown out of power. And if you get thrown out of power and you're a part of that army that gets thrown out of power, guess what you do? You pretend you weren't part of the army. You know, and so you leave all your weapons and you take off your stuff and you just try to slip back into civilian life and pretend you weren't fighting. So that's what they did. They left all their guns and guess who got them? This oppressed people. 
And for the next 25 years, it was nothing but carnage on all the people around them. They got the guns. They stole all the cattle around them. They stole all the... They, they, pretty soon, there was no cattle to steal, and so they started stealing from one another. And this internal civil war broke out over 20 years of internal fighting. 800,000 people, 200,000 AK-47s. You guys think about that. One out of four people, one out of two men owns an AK-47, and they're just nothing but warriors, and it's, it is hell. Nobody goes in there. The only way you can go across that is if you have a guy with a gun turret in front, a car with a gun turret, and one in the back, and then they take 20 cars, and you'd, you'd move across the whole province because that's how dangerous it was. They had no respect for any human life. If you drove alone out there, you would be killed. You would be killed, and, and whatever you had would be taken. And it was unstoppable. I talked to this gal, 35 failed attempts she, for, for peace. The UN would come in, UNICEF would come in, different branches of the government would come in. She counted them, 35 failed attempts at peace. She was invited to go in and live amongst them. And I said, well, what's life like there? She goes, well, every night, well, not, not every night, she didn't say every night, excuse me, she goes, at night around 10 o'clock, 10.30, you hear a pop, and then you hear a return volley, pop, 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 and you hear this, this gunfight ensue. She goes, I climb out of my bed and onto the floor. Now, why did she climb out of her bed and onto the floor? Because there's a window. They insisted, if you live amongst us, you have to have cement walls on your hut because the bullets go through the sticks and people get hit, and they didn't want their guests killed. So they had her build a cement hut with walls with a grass roof, but there's a window at that level, so she climbs out onto the floor, and she goes, I, so I, I just begin to, to pray, and I begin to cry, because I know the next morning I'm going to have to see which of my friends is dead. Um, and she cries all the way through the night, and sure enough, one night, she didn't tell me this, one of her friends told me this, she went out to see who was dead, and her best friend had bled to death right on her doorstep. And she, I asked, I said, I asked her, I said, Val, um, how often does a fight like this take place? And she goes, two or three times a week. And how long have you been living in there? 13 years. Is anybody coming to faith in Christ? No, nobody. Very few. Some old ladies, maybe a child here and there. Um, is there any hope? And she told me about the 35 failed attempts at peace. I said, well, are you in danger other than that this way? She goes, well, she told, she told me a story of... Um, let me, let me just show you the camera, John. Next picture here. Um, extreme poverty. Wherever there's war in the world, you guys, the worst kind of humanitarian crisis. You cannot have a developed economy. Nothing. There's starvation everywhere. The poverty is unlike any place I've seen on earth, and I've been to a lot of places. Um, this next picture. This is the way they reside. This is us flying into um, to Karamoja. That's one of the villages. You've heard of a hedge of protection? Right, you've read about that and you've prayed it. You didn't even know what you're praying. But let me show you what a hedge of protection is. Next picture, those walls are made of thorns like this. And if you see the next picture again, um, those are the villages. And in the middle is the corral where they keep their animals. And you have to get through like five walls to get to the cattle. But still, that's the wars. They break out and they're fighting to get into the cattle to rustle the cattle. And against themselves, remember it's clan versus clan amongst the same tribe for 20-some years. Um, looking in there, again, see the cattle corral in the very middle of those villages. Thorns, thorns, thorns all the way through. And death and destruction for 23 years. 
one out of three people would die during that period of time from gunshot wounds. See, this is what Satan does, and this is not unique to this place. This is part of that crescent of evil where Satan is having a heyday that goes from Congo up through Rwanda, up through Congo, up through South Sudan, and right down this border of South Sudan. Just evil, evil everywhere. It's like Satan's throne is in this place. So what can you do? Well, this gal is there, um, and I asked her, um, I asked her specifically, I said, um, well, why are you still there? And you know what she said? Because God's going to do something. So my next sort of, wasn't a sarcastic, sort of sounded like it, but I said, well, what's he going to do? She says, well, time's coming where we need some gray hairs to come from the United States. And why gray hairs? Well, she's a, a woman, and they're, they're a male-dominated society, and, she, and so they can't really hear what she has to say, and they don't trust her. But any gray hairs that would come in her name, they'd learn to love her and respect her. Why? Because she was caring for what was precious to them, their animals. And um, so she says, the time's coming when I'll need some gray hairs, and, and God's going to do something, and, and, he's gonna, and, and we can negotiate peace, and we'll see, we'll see change in this place. And she said it with such confidence, because she was weeping in my office, and she said this thing with boldness and confidence that God was going to do something. And it was like God said to me, okay, Jonathan, hop on board. Get ready for a ride. You're going to help, help her storm these gates of hell. And our church jumped on. About a year and a half later, she goes, hey, it's time. We need the gray hairs. So she invited, um, well, two guys from our church and three from another church. In fact, one of them was a naval admiral, and he's going. He knows how dangerous it is, and he has all these tactical pilotage charts out on planning escape routes in case they get attacked here. It's pretty funny. As a, so he knows how dangerous it is, and it's interesting some reason we pray as a church when somebody's in danger, physical danger. But we don't pray with the same passion when Satan is just has overtaken a people group. And, and so anyway, sometimes it does, it takes that. And tragically, sometimes the reason people are in physical danger is because we're not praying. God has chosen to really make us real agents in what he is, he is going to accomplish in this world. And... So we were committed to praying for this group, and in fact, I, I, it was again, God is saying, Jonathan, get your whole church praying because I'm about ready to do something. Okay, against all odds, 35 failed attempts at peace, you know, but it was like, okay, we're all going to be praying. So we had this 24-7 prayer thing. Everybody signed up for a half an hour during this course of two and a half weeks that they're there. And not just a half hour, but so many people signed up every day for a half hour, and there were doubles in every slot. Everybody was praying 24-7 for this team that was going to be going. And what would they do? Well, first of all, they would um, preach about peacemaking from the Bible. Like, for instance, Lot and Abraham, the story about how they made peace and how Abraham humbled himself and let Lot have the choice, even though um, he didn't need to do that. He was the boss. But that's what he did, and it brought peace to their families. So you teach them about these things. But as you walk down through these peacemaking um, stories, the greatest peace of all is what God did with us and made peace with us who, were, who had sided on the, the side of the enemy, who were running and just working out his will in our lives and in our society, and how God came down and says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you back. And I will do that 
through my son Jesus Christ. So the gospel was preached on the last day. They brought in a group of pastors that from years ago had come to faith in Christ and seen nothing happen in their churches. They hated each other because they were on different sides of the war. Brought them in, and they were the first to repent. And then they brought in the warriors. They brought in the chiefs. They brought in the elders. And, and our whole church was praying. In fact, the gospel was going to be preached on Sunday morning in Uganda, and we have a Saturday night service. And so we were on our knees just as this gospel session with the elders. Now, remember, these elders are coming into this room together. This guy killed my wife and daughter. Well, this guy killed my dad and my brothers and sisters. Can you imagine coming into the room with the, people, with the murderers of your family? Well, down on our knees, everybody praying, and, and it was weird. It was, again, I don't know how God does this and how he works, but it was like, yes, God's going to do so. I was excited to get up the next morning and to see what happened. And we get the email, it happened. They started weeping and wailing, which they don't do. You don't cry in this culture. And embracing one another. They embraced one another, and then they came together. What are we going to do to make peace? And let me show you what they did to make peace. Well, first of all, let me just tell you one quick story that's worth telling. I asked Val one time, are you in danger in this place? Are you in danger personally? And she goes, well, one time I was attacked. I go, what do you mean? Well, I was driving alone because they know my car and they know who I am. And so nobody drives alone out there, right? But she does. Crazy lady. Okay. Um, but they knew who I am, so they never attacked. But I was coming down this hill one time, and out come these guys with AK-47s, and I'm not thinking anything of it. I see them all the time with guns. But they come in front of the car. They circle around. The guy sitting next to me goes, raid, raid, raid. You know, in other words, they're, they're coming after us. Hijack, hijack. And, and so she jams on her brake, and she goes, oh, God, what do I do? And this guy goes, reverse. So she prayed. He answered. So <laughs> she shifts it into reverse, and these guys are looking at her. You idiot. You can't outrun our bullets. And these guys who were amazing marksmen, they're amazing fighters, they've been doing it for years, five of them opened up fire on her um, car. And there's people standing in the back. She has this pickup, that tenor in the back, and, and they're screaming and there's yelling, and she's going up the road and they're chasing and firing. She sees the gun. She says, probably 100 rounds came out of their guns at my car. She gets, gets around, miraculously makes it up the hill. They tire out. She races down to an army barracks where she's safe. She gets out to see who's hit and who needs to be protected. And guess what? Nobody was hit, and there was not one bullet hole in her car. Miraculous. But she went to the elders that night and goes, hey, do you want me to be gone because I got attacked? <gasps> we heard about this. They said, it was a mistake. And she goes, no, I don't think it was a mistake. No, we promised it was a mistake. They didn't know your car. We need to learn to, re we have to have something on your car so we this never happens again. Well, what can we do? Well, she ended up marking her car like that. <laughs> so unmistakably the doctor, right? Um, and since that time, they came out to kill her. They saw it was her. They danced around the car. Thank you for being here. And they go back into the bushes to kill the next person that comes by. And that's not a joke. That's seriously the way it was. So because she loved them, they loved her back. Because she loved them, these guys repented, broke out, and, um, and planned this thing. So what do they have to do? They're going to bring these two warring factions together in this no man's land. They haven't seen each other for 23 years. They haven't been brought together. Look at this picture here. They, um, this next one here coming up. They, she had to go pack down this grass that hadn't been gone across. Nobody, cattle eat the grass down, but not here because you go in there, you don't come out alive. 
It's no man's land. And so this next picture shows how they, they packed down the grass from one village to the next around this mountain. And they were going to bring the warring tribes together. And it was, it was this day of reckoning, coming together for the first time. And she's scared to death. They, they killed the fatted cow, this huge old bull. They're able to they have enough food for 500 people on hand. And, but she goes, uh-oh, 400 just came from this side. I wonder how many are coming from this side. And they're coming, and they're going to meet on this ground. And are they going to fight, or are they going to have peace? And she heard this scream go up, and they started running. And she's going, oh, no, it's an attack. And, but what it was is they came together, and they started jumping up and down. That's the way they rejoice. That's the way they praise God. And they embraced each other and immediately started putting up homes. And they, they made peace. The UN came in like a month after and goes, what has happened here? They asked that vow, what did you do? And she goes, it's, it's Jesus. No, 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 we don't want to hear that. What did you do? How did you get this to happen? She goes, it's God. <clears throat> they got really frustrated with her. Um, because 35 failed attempts, and it was Jesus and reconciliation of the gospel that started this. It started to grow and grow. And the places where you couldn't go, except with gun turret and then a caravan and another gun turret, guess what? People are riding their bicycles at night. The peace just continued to grow over the next 10 years, grow and grow and grow. They started these peace villages. They, the miracles that God has done in that place. And to be a part, I've, I've been able to go back there and teach the pastors and train these people. The, the churches is multiplying. The churches are multiplying. People are coming to faith like Christ like you would not believe. And it went from hell to um, it's not heaven yet but where people can smile and live and not live in fear. In fact, it used to be all the cattle that you'd have would be stolen, but guess what now? They have little kids out there. They banned cattle from these peace villages, and they had to, they had to do it through um, agriculture, which they'd never done before. But they did it with the help from churches from, from America, water wells. But let me just tell you this one really cool thing. Um, you know, they didn't allow any cattle in here at all because then they'd be a target you know, for, for raiders. And so the peace started growing with no cattle, but in time, they, they brought cattle back in, and so much had things changed that, guess what, last time I was there, there were these five-year-old boys and seven-year-old boys walking a whole herd of cattle together. I go, what's going on with that? Oh, well, they actually are so confident they will not be raided, they actually go out and take cattle out as bait and hope they're stolen. I go, what do you mean they hope they're stolen? Well, because if they are stolen, the guilty parties will be caught, and they have to pay back three times as many. So it's like an investment. You go stick it out there, hope it'll get stolen, so it'll get returned. That's how much this culture's been transformed. And it's right on the crescent of evil, and there's still evil. The evil in South Sudan, the evil in the Congo, the evil in what's happening in Syria. The evil, the evil in this world is real, and we are called through the Great Commission. Okay, here's what it is. Remember, we are called for a relationship with God but on mission with each other. And that's where we grow close to each other. That's where we come to really know God. You know, when we call for a pass, you know, you're a spectator in a football game and you keep calling for the quarterback to throw it to you, does he? No, he throws to people who are on the field. Does he throw to the guy who runs down the wrong way? No, he throws to the guy on the field. He is going somewhere. He is on the field. We're taking intimate territory. That's where your prayers are answered. That's where we are called to go. And as a church, this church gets it. Let's go there together. Let's hold on. And that's where joy is found. 
I don't understand it. Are you going to get hurt if you're receiving passes, you know, in the NFL? Do you get hurt? Yes, you get hurt. But that's also where joy is found. So I want to pray for you guys, and I want to pray for me. Um, it, it's a privilege. There's no greater privilege. My wife and I get to, to run around the world and get to be with teams in these locations, where, locations like Afghanistan. We were there last fall where they're charging the gates of hell. And they need people like you to pray for them. This is fun. That's Val and her husband. We were partly matchmakers in this deal. And um, she got married first time, both of them in their 50s. So God um, gave them joy um, and has brought peace to this incredible region. And it's because somebody took Jesus seriously and says, that's where hell is? Let's go. Jesus said, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria. And then it says, ultimately, where? Yeah, and then guess what he says next? As you're going, as you're doing this, right? And lo, I am with you always. That's where he's really with us, when we're with him and what he's calling us to do. Let me pray. Father, thank you. For each person here, thank you for this church that understands the centrality of the Great Commission. Your Great Commission is central to everything. And may we never, Lord, I am so guilty of living day after day without really understanding the nature of the high calling that we have in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to the day where Satan is crushed under the feet of this church. Lord, you've made us for great things. Help us not settle for small, insignificant things like Disneyland. We pray in Jesus' name.